0: Hello and welcome to What Catholics Believe. This uh, little segment is an introduction to a coming uh, What Catholics Believe program. It's a program that was done a few days ago on the subject of the incident that took place at the March for Life in Washington, D.C., where some uh, Catholic students were confronted by a Native American an elder, perhaps even a shaman. And uh, the result was uh, a very brief video clip went viral and uh, produced an outcry of condemnation against the one student pictured and and uh, also by extension the entire group of students. Now, uh, i want to bring this up to date because in the past uh, 72 hours or so, there have been quite some significant developments, and so uh, I thought it'd be very important to uh, make a comment about the program that you're about to see. Uh, first of all, um, an early report came out stating that the school involved uh, was covington Latin. School. That's the report that I saw initially, and so in the program that follows this introduction, you'll hear me refer to Covington Latin. Well, that was not right. That was mistaken, and I apologize for that. The school is actually Covington Catholic, uh, sometimes simply referred to as Cubcath. And so I apologize to uh, Covington Latin and to Covington Catholic and their students for making that mix-up. As I say, uh, the initial report that I got, uh, I found out it was actually misleading. And uh, also, uh, I would to make a note of, well, actually, several notes about what has happened here in this confrontation, because the confrontation it was, <clears throat> but it wasn't what it appeared to be. The brief video clip that was shown was chosen deliberately, clearly, to misrepresent The event and when the longer video clips were shown, uh, one as long as two hours long, it's, it showed clearly what took place. And, um, those who were denounced as the aggressors were actually clearly the victims. And the one who, uh, styled himself the victim was clearly the aggressor. Uh, The Covington Latin student, uh, uh, who actually was face-to-face with the Native American uh, beating the drum in his face, in Nick, young Nick's face. Nick, I understand, was 16 years old. Some reports say 15, but anyway, it gives you an idea of how young he is, Um, had this uh, 60... Two sixty-three year old men walk up to him, can basically face to face. They are separated only by a drum that is practically pushed into Nick's face, and the man is beating the drum. And uh clearly this uh this man uh came after the boys and this boy, Nick Sandman in particular. Nick is a student at Covington Catholic High School. In uh, Covington, Kentucky. Now, um, you would have seen Nick standing there, and the clip that they showed uh, showed him smiling at the man who had uh, confronted him, uh, the man who was pushing the drum in his face and beating on the drum in his face. Um, And that was supposed to show a smirk. That's how it was presented. It was uh, Nick was smirking at this man as his fellow students, boys, were mocking this man and supposedly his Native American culture. <clears throat> this was not the case at all, however, as we found out from re- really watching the the full video. It's kind of a curious question, though, just because Nick uh, smiled, and he said he smiled, to try to defuse the situation, to show that he was not angry, that he was not a threat, uh, that he was not going to make any move uh, against the man who was beating a drum just inches from his face. Um, but, uh, of course, the the press wants to make of this a smirk because they want the look on Nick's face to represent uh, a sense of white privilege and contempt for the Native American man, a veteran, they pointed out, a veteran of the Marines, Um and also, I, um, uh, they, wanted, they wanted to show that Nick had a certain contempt for what the man stood for. <clears throat> the, uh, the culture of the indigenous peoples of America. This is what they were after, see. And um, now, the question arises, though, what could this young fellow have done? Because of the prejudice against him. I um, mean, he, he stood there, he smiled, and they uh, showed that and they represented his smile as a smirk, um, indicating his, uh, his white privilege contempt for this man and his Indian culture. Um, but if, if Nick had turned and walked away, as he said later that he wished he had indeed turned and walked away, you could just see the headlines. Um, white Catholic uh, pro-life boy turns his back on indigenous Elder showing his contempt for the man. Uh, if, if Nick had not smiled, but had just stood there, uh, and stared ahead stone faced, the, the headlines would have read, uh, white Catholic pro-life boy, uh, tries to stare down, uh, elder, uh, indigenous, veteran of the Marines or something to the effect, no matter what the boy did, he had been singled out in order to, uh, in other words, provide some kind of uh, grist for the mill. This group, uh, this small group of indigenous people, as they wish to be called, uh, remained behind in Washington after the indigenous people's march of the day before and they were out on the streets of Washington even though their march had actually taken place the day before and they were looking for confrontation and the first they engaged some of these black Hebrew Israelites who were roundly uh, abusing them uh, with um, condemnations of their beliefs and condemnations of their uh, their passivity and not rising up against the white man and all the rest. And there was a rather lengthy conversation between these few black Hebrew Israelites and the Native American Indian or indigenous peoples. A very uh, unpleasant and, I would say, abusive exchange between them. And then the so-called black Hebrew Israelites turned their attention on the The white boys of the Catholic school who were standing in front of the Lincoln Memorial waiting for their bus to take them home after the March for Life. And uh, these uh, black Hebrew Israelites uh, heaped upon these boys the most vile, uh, the most vile, not just contemptuous, uh, obscene, uh, blasphemous attacks. Uh, And the boys reacted very, I'd say, moderately. They, they finally just asked their chaperones if they could do some school cheers to draw, dry to, uh, drown out the abuse that they were getting from these, uh, well, to, to say that they were nothing but mouths, mouths filled with sewage would not be an exaggeration because that's what they are. No thought, no intelligence, just mouths spewing, uh, horrible things at these young children. Uh, If their parents had been there, I think there might well have been fisticuffs because parents do not allow their children to be abused very easily. They do not stand for that. But um, what is very curious is that when the video, the two-hour video, gets to the point uh, where these black Hebrew Israelites are surrounded by the crowd that they've attracted... Uh, some of it, including the boys, who were just, again, standing in place waiting for the bus to arrive. One of the uh, black Hebrew Israelites actually takes his camera and circles around to take in the 360 degree view of the entire crowd as he's mocking them for doing nothing to stop these Black Hebrew Israelites from their abuse. He actually ridicules them that they are that they are not taking action to stop them and intervening, Uh, and he he says that it's it's a matter of of cowardice. They're they're paralyzed. There's nothing they can do to stop them. But what this shows is how tolerant these people are. They 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 were all white people gathered around, I guess, somewhat out of curiosity. And some perhaps out of a bit of outrage. But no one lifted a finger. No one lifted a finger. The only one to approach them was one of the boys in the group who put his hand out and wanted to shake the hand of one of them. And he was driven off with curses and abusive language. This is the kind of people we're dealing with here. And this is the kind of people they were dealing with. But the reason I mentioned this, that the camera in the hand of the black Hebrew Israelite showed the entire crowd around them, being very passive and uh, not only not shouting back at them for the most part, um, but uh, making no move whatsoever is because this uh, this Native American fellow, this uh, indigenous person with the drum, a man named Nathan Phillips, actually said that he intervened to rescue the few black Hebrew Israelites from the threatening Catholic boys, from the threatening white boys. And when you see the video, you see this is a bald-faced lie. Perhaps uh, uh, Shaman Phillips, or Elder Phillips, did not expect people to get to see the uh, the total video. But they did. And actually, it was one of the black Hebrew Israelites who was actually taking the two-hour video that revealed the absolute falseness, the falsehood uh, the mendacity of this uh, Nathan uh, Nathan Phillips and his supporters. Um, some have actually denounced what happened to the boys of Covington, Catholic, as a witch hunt. And I would have to agree. You know, we had that word used when it came to the attack of Dianne Feinstein and the rest of her crowd. Um uh, against, uh, Brett Kavanaugh when it came to the, uh, hearings for his, uh, his approval for the Supreme Court. And, uh, we were told that was a witch hunt too. And, you know, it really was, but it was actually a mob lynching. It was an attempt at mob lynching by the media. And this, this has more the character of a mob lynching of trying to lynch these white uh, Catholic pro-life boys, really what it comes down to. We we read about toxic masculinity here, and supposedly these boys are prime examples of that. They're pro-life, which is an atrocity. They're those who came out to denounce them for just being there, for just being at the March for Life. That means they deserve everything they get, whether they did this or not. Whether they actually disrespected, as they say, this uh, this indigenous person with the drum, it doesn't matter. They were there at the March for Life to deny women their rights and those they they deserve. They deserve all the abuse they get. This is what some are saying. And again, these people lie and it means nothing. They're proud of their lies. And uh, of course, the Make America Great Great Again hats were a major issue, even though of the crowd of 30 or 40 boys, only uh, four or five, maybe six of them were wearing these mega hats. It just so happens that Mr. Phillips picked out one of those boys and picking out Nick Sandman' he had to be wearing a mega hat. This was good a good photo op for him, something that he could spread uh, and use as uh, as a firecracker to ignite uh, to ignite a major explosion <clears throat> and um, but when they say witch hunt, we, we have to agree. We have to agree that the attack on Kavanaugh was a kind of witch hunt. And the attack on these boys of Covington Catholic is a kind of witch hunt. But it's not that people are looking for witches to attack. These are witches who are doing the attacking. Uh, the witches are the ones who are attacking the boys. The witches are the ones who are attacking Kavanaugh. Uh, Dianne Feinstein and her group of uh, of uh, harpies gathered around to accuse Mr. Kavanaugh. Uh, and also, but, but in a particular way, those who are attacking these boys really are witches. We find that the indigenous people movement has a great representation of those who are shamans and those who are into magic and those who are into witchcraft. One of the great promoters of this uh, march to unite indigenous communities and the indigenous people's march of March, well, the month uh, of, uh, I'm sorry, January 18th, I should say, January 18th, 2019 in Washington, is a woman named Natalie Farfan, and she started La Bruja's Club. And La Bruja's Club is simply the Witches' club. And she is into, she teaches, she markets spirituality and magic. And she is one of the principles in organizing these events and these people. And you'll find that the shamans, shamanistic uh, incantations and so on, they all go into this uh, kind of natural religion of, of spirits. You find this in the statements made by this Nathan Phillips with regard to his drum. He talks about using his drum to release spirits and have them go into people and affect people. And here he is holding his drum just inches away from the face, maybe not even inches away from the face of this young lad, beating his drum right in his face. And uh, and this man uh, Phillips says he's releasing spirits by this. He's sending spirits into these people. This is not comforting, to say the least. Certainly not to those who uh, have any faith in Christ. Um, This would be considered something of the occult. And I'm afraid that's exactly what we're looking at here. We're looking at the occult. This is an occult attack. And they were singled out because they were white, because they were boys, because some of them were wearing MAGA hats. They were at the pro-life march, I gather from what the, the the spirit where they were wearing I imagine uh, and the Catholic chants they had for their school uh, singled them out as Catholics too. this was a perfect storm for them to be singled out by occultists under the under the banner of indigenous peoples to try to attack them and make an example of them and turn, public opinion against them, even to the point where they were receiving death threats. They, their families, and uh, even members of the faculty and staff at the school, I understand, were being threatened, so that the the Monday after the march, uh, school was not only called off, but the chancery office itself shut down, and uh, parents and students were told that they were not allowed to to be on the property of the school that day, because of the gravity and the seriousness of the threats. This was local law enforcement in Covington warning them not to have school that day. It's, it came to that. It was that serious. Uh, there were also threats from Antifa to, uh, to uh, demonstrate at the school at 10 o'clock on Monday morning after the march. And you know how violent and savage Antifa is. Uh, they like to be uh, uh, to think of them as anti-fascists but they are as they're the most fascist of all the people and uh, you look at the history of fascism they embody the history of fascism and um, they were also going to have a march or a, a demonstration from indigenous peoples in the area and uh, who by the way i said did come did come to the chancery office and were quite peaceful about it and said that they were looking to try to uh, uh, work out some kind of reconciliation, and um, so they seem to be decent about uh, their appearance uh, on Monday morning. In any case, not looking for trouble, obviously. At least those are the, what the reports say. But one cannot say that about this Nathan Phillips, about the followers with him, and about those who were uh, carefully recording his confrontation, all one-sided with this young lad, Nick Sandman. They were looking for trouble. And um, this cannot be said about the so-called black Hebrew Israelites, who are definitely looking to provoke a reaction. You see, these are leftists. They hate. And uh, they accuse of hate. The best Defense is a good offense. And so what they want to do is accuse everyone else of hating. Meanwhile, their hatred is so virulent, they are hoping to draw a a violent response, an interpretive response from others, so that then they can accuse them. They have something to accuse them for, some evidence to show that, yes, indeed, their opponents are the ones who hate it didn't work with this young man. Marvelously enough, it didn't work with Nick Sandman. And, uh, I think that there's a, a man is admirable in maintaining his composure through this. I mean, what 15, 16 year old boy far from home in Washington, D.C. would be confronted with a, with a fellow like this, uh, this, this Nathan, uh, Phillips, a complete stranger, coming to him across uh, a courtyard, passing these foul-mouthed black uh, black Hebrew Israelites, walking up to, uh, coming right up to his face, pushing a drum in his face, beating on the drum, uh, shouting some kind of incantation. What young man, 15, 16 years old, could be expected to stand there and and just try to patiently accept it, even smile to try to show that he, he meant no harm. Um, it, it was uh, quite a uh, quite a display of patience and uh, composure, I believe <clears throat> not at all what the leftists wanted wanted it to be and wanted to, to portray it to be. but they needed something and this is what they got by the way, that video clip first appeared on a Twitter, site that was attributed to some teacher in California, but there are those who tried to find that teacher listed in that school district, and there was nobody behind that Twitter site, the, no real person behind the Twitter site where that video first uh, first appeared, and uh, it had 40,000 views in no time, and then it disappeared. From that site, that that entire Twitter site disappeared. Evidently, uh, it sounds as though it was simply created to be the channel through which these people were going to um, launch some kind of attack, whatever they could, whatever they could manage. And um, this is all they could get. Uh, now, the truth is getting out, but even here. There are people who are are still angry with these boys and with their a school because they're just angry angry with pro-lifers. They're angry with uh, "Make America Great Again." They're angry with President Trump. Uh, they are very anti-Catholic, like this far fan who says that her um, that her indigenous peoples uh, have been have been persecuted by the by the Catholic Church, and uh, they have to decolonize their minds from. Catholicism. This was definitely staged. There's no doubt about it. So, in any case, uh, all of that being said, I, I just wanted to offer this as an introduction to the video that is coming. But I, I need to mention, so also, I say in the um, in the video of the What Catholics Believe program that's coming here next, that the Bishop of Covington um, just f- basically over, uh, reacted quickly and overreacted and, uh, and immediately denounced the boys, the students of his, own, of his own school, the students of his own parishes. In other words, he's supposed to be the shepherd and they're supposed to be the sheep. And he was all ready to condemn them. And uh, actually, he uh, he refused to back down for quite a while, even when they got back into school on Tuesday, he went to talk to them, and he would not back down. He is having a third-party investigation of what took place, but he would not back down, and his threat even to expel. Well, I understand that there was a demonstration today, this is the Friday following the march, a uh, one week after the march took place, and that uh, a number of the the students, their parents, and others were actually outside the chancery office. Now they were having a demonstration, and it was a confrontation. It was directed to the bishop who had betrayed them, stabbed them in the back, thrown them under the bus, as we were told, throw them into the into into the to the wolves, whatever one has to say. And he was adamant about um standing his ground because the indigenous people were upset and because all of the you know the 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 media was was on a rampage against this. Um but finally I understand that just today this Bishop Roger Joseph Foyes, F O Y S of Covington, did acknowledge that he was wrong, and he apologized to Nick Sandman, the young lad, and his family, all of the trouble death threats that they've had to endure. He apologized for having his rush to judgment. And you know what he said? He said he was bullied. He was bullied into doing this. Now, isn't this interesting? He was being bullied by the media, bullied by, because of political correctness, okay, bullied into condemning. And he was willing to do this. And uh, from the sound of it, it said he did it because he was pressured into doing it, not because he believed it was the right thing. That's a very, very bad thing for a bishop to say. I was bullied into doing something that I believe is wrong, condemning those I should have protected. What kind of a man is this? And then he only apologizes and, and explains it away, or tries to by saying he was bullied, when suddenly he's confronted by the the students in his schools, who i understood said that if any one of them was expelled they would all leave he was he uh he was confronted by the parents of these boys and he was ready to be confronted by the lawyers of these families now he was being bullied from the other side so now it's a matter of which bullying he's going to respond to more now, what kind of a leader, what kind of a shepherd is this? And the answer is, he's modernist. The answer is, he's not a shepherd. But he's Novus Ordo, he's a new order modernist. And they pander to public opinion. And they are bullied by it, because they're slaves of it. And this is very characteristic of the modernist, especially the Novus Ordo bishops. Who've been chosen by these Novus Ordo pontiffs in, in the Vatican. They tend to have, they're not vertebrates. You know, this is a prime example, which has shown what these families are dealing with, who are trying in their own, the best of their estimation, in terms of what they think Catholicism is at the moment, however mistaken they may be. <clears throat> they clearly want to be Catholic, and this is what they find in a bishop. Bullied. Shameful. Shameful. In any case, um, this gives us a very serious warning about the press. You see, if you look back in every revolution, since the inventing of the printing press, the printing press has played a very important part in revolutions for propaganda purposes. The, the, um, The witches, as it were, of today... And the um, the the leftists and the liberals and the antifas and all the rest have got the media uh, as their own personal playground to pump out their propaganda and to condemn anyone who would oppose them or contradict them. So um, but this is very this bodes very, very badly for our country because we see that same pattern. Uh in the past, present in every revolution, violent revolution, the softening up, the preparation of the people by propaganda through the press. We see it happening in our own country right now. Uh, this is something we absolutely must oppose. We have to oppose it in the right way. We can't resort to their tactics. We will never resort to lying, and we'll never resort to attacking innocent people. But we're going to confront them with the truth, And if we have to be brave and stand toe-to-toe with them and nose-to-nose with them, drums or not, we will. We're not going to let them get away with this because we may be willing to sacrifice ourselves personally. We're not going to sacrifice our loved ones and we're not going to sacrifice our country because we have a moral obligation to protect these things. In the virtue of piety, which is a part of justice, we have an obligation before God to protect our loved ones. He's entrusted them to our care to protect our country. He's given it to us as our homeland, and we have to care for it, love it, and protect it against those who would try to destroy it. So with that said, then I give you, a, turn the floor over to the program and uh, turn the floor over to our host, Tom Nagley, to begin the actual program, What Catholics Believe. Thank you. God bless you all.
1: Hello, and welcome to What Catholics Believe. I'm your host, Thomas Nagley, and with me tonight is Father William Jenkins. He's a member of the Society of St. Pius V. He's also the pastor of Immaculate Conception Church right here in Norwood, Ohio. Hello, Father. How are you?
0: Very fine, John. How are you doing? Good,
1: Father. Thank you. Thanks for being here tonight. You're
0: very welcome. Thank you. Thank you, too.
1: Before we begin our regularly scheduled programming for tonight, we have a very exciting announcement to make. And that is that as of today we have officially launched our very own website the link wcbohio.com we will post in the description of this video and with this website we have a lot of great content posted on there it's going to be posted on there on a daily basis we have all of our past and future videos on the website and what this does is it allows our viewers to bypass YouTube and all of the dangers to morality that can be associated with that website. We also have a, uh, a lot of other great content besides our videos on the website, such as a daily saint of the day post, a daily mass of the day post. Um, so, so there's a lot of great things on there, and I would encourage all of our viewers to check out the website on a daily basis and also pass that along to all of your friends as well. Oh, so is there a
0: what do they call it? A search engine? There's a there's a
1: search function on there as well. Search it's one of my attorney. one of my personal <laughs> favorite functions on the site. Uh, so any any uh, keyword to any question that you may have, you are able to search that on the website, and that will uh, hopefully direct you to a link where we have previously discussed that question. Because Father Jenkins, as you know, so many of the questions that we receive. On the program are redundant we've answered them in the past and uh, we continue to answer them over and over again and so i think the search function can be uh,
0: a great time saver for that i, I expect so, so and by the way uh you deserve a lot of credit and those and those who've worked with you on this you know god bless you for it
1: thank you father appreciate it oh,
0: it's a great service i, I hope people I, take advantage of it
1: i think so cool
0: it's a I, great service to me i know that
1: yeah all of us well father, let's uh get into some of the material for tonight the uh first thing I thought we had to uh we had to mention this. It's been in the national media everywhere lately where uh just kind of to to summarize the story here at the recent march for life in washington d c there was a group of students from a local uh no Catholic school here Covington Catholic school across the river. In Kentucky, a group of students were at the March for Life. Uh, Someone, One of the students was uh, apparently approached by some Native American protester who was beating a drum in his face, and this was caught on video. The Covington Catholic student was apparently smirking, kind of mocking this Native American protester uh, based on this video evidence, and so this has just um, caught like wildfire all across the national media. Celebrities are commenting on this, and just all kinds of, of pay has been made over this uh, apparently uh, mocking, mocking uh, gesture and, and all of this that this Covington Catholic student has been doing, it turns out, though, Father, that might not exactly be the truth. So, can you mm-hmm. kind of fill us in and offer your take on this story, Father?
0: It's a lie. It's an entire fabrication. Okay. Yeah. They took a very short video clip and uh, put it on the air, and it showed this student with other students but this one student uh, a male from coming latin coming latin school and um just across the river so this is right in our backyard here now. uh practically nose to nose with this uh this native american and you see interposed between them is only the drum and the they beating the drum and, uh, the two of them, except for the sound of the drum, are facing each other silently. And the, the student has a grin on his face, which people interpret to be a kind of smirk. And, you know, it's not hard for teenagers to look like they're smirking when they're smiling. But, uh, that's all that was showed. And that's all that people needed. Okay. The, uh, the, the, the leftist press erupted with a condemnation showing this, this smug white privileged Teenager confronting this this poor um, Native American veteran Marine, uh, who said that at some point later on that he had served in the Vietnam era, you know, and so word got around in the press that he was a Vietnam veteran, you know, and this was a kind of endemic. But the real crime that these these teenagers committed was they were all wearing mega hats. They were all wearing Make America Great Again hats. And they were, they had been in Washington to take part in the March for Life that very day. And this is how they were ending the day, um, by confronting this, this poor man, you know, who essentially, you know, was looked to, made to look as though he was all alone there and surrounded by these, these, uh, uh, white privileged uh, kids who are just mocking him to scorn. It's on a line. And uh, after, you know, in order to get their story, of course, they interview this uh, Native American, as it better called. And uh, I don't know what background he has as a Native American. I, I guess he is descended from one of the American Indian tribes. Native American tribes, but I don't know that they, in, they identified that tribe or what his you know, pedigree is, so to speak. But in any case, he was beating a drum, and that's enough. And uh, it just so happens, by the way, that on the very day, they had the March for Life in Washington, D.C. They also had the, the Indigenous Peoples March going on at the same time. And that's how they these crossed paths, okay? Um, to give you, trying to give you kind of an overall picture, when you look at the, the entire video, okay? And we're talking about, you know, there are video clips that go on for two hours showing what led up to that moment and what followed the moment, you know? And so as the day has gone on, uh, we've seen, you know, that, short clip that was uh given to us you know uh and suddenly now we have the context because we have a longer video clip and now we've gone that there are cases where people have actually seen a two hour (coughs) video program of the entire episode from long before it began until you know after after the the kids had actually boarded the bus and uh so all that the, the press had was, uh, the, 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 short video clip, uh, the, the kind of sound bite, as it were, and the narrative given by this Native American fellow about this event and how he had been abused. And we find out that it was a, a lie. Um, <clears throat> in fact, what I'm, I i have not seen all of this yet, but what I hear, and I think it's, it's very reliable is that uh, the the march with the indigenous peoples actually what involved people confronting uh, the young people, the kids, who had come to Washington for the March for Life, confronting them and accusing them of having stolen the land from the Native Americans. I even was told recently, very recently, about this very man, this very Native American, actually confronting a young girl, a teenage girl, and so hounding her before this confrontation happened, so hounding her that she, she left in tears. He had her reduced to tears. This is our, our poor shrinking, violent Native American, uh, victim, right? Okay. So they had come looking for a photo op is what they were, they were looking for an opportunity to show confrontation and they got it. Okay. Now. What happened after that was interesting, because there were four, I understand there were four, uh, what are called black Hebrew Israelites there. Now, why were they there? Were they part of the indigenous people's parade? Not really. They had come to confront the indigenous people. And so, the the four black Hebrew Israelites who were at at the Lincoln Memorial, right? got into verbal fisticuffs, making all kinds of obscene and, and uh, uh, just derogatory statements to the indigenous peoples, how they're Uncle Toms, how they're, they're letting these white people do these terrible things, and how they can't expect that the white people are going to you know, treat them well, and um, so they were mocking the indigenous people. And uh, there was one case, at one point, even a woman from among the uh, the Native Americans came out of the crowd to talk to these four guys, who were just, just foul, foul mouth, you know. And they started mocking the Native American crowd because of sending a woman to do their work for them, you know. So everything they could. They really so this is going on between these two groups. So. Then... The black Hebrew Israelites, I mean, we're not told their part in this. Oh no, I mean, there's as pure as the driven snow, right? There's no, there's no privilege there, okay, that they are treated with, uh, with kick gloves, even themselves, again, treated as though they're victims too. So they turn on a group of white, well, I can't say white students because they were not all white students. I understand that there was at least one, uh, African-American student in the group as part of them. I mean, one of them. And one of those students there. And he was as much one of the coming-to-Latin students as any of the white kids or any of the other kids. I mean, it didn't matter. They're Catholic. You know, at least that's in mentality. That's what they want to be as far as they understand what that means these days. And uh, they were actually gathered at the end of the March for Life waiting for their bus to come and pick them up and, I assume, that very night, drive them back to to uh, Covington. And as the students are waiting there, I think they were being picked up at 5.30, they got there at 4.30, which is commendable, and they were waiting, and they had chaperones, and these black Hebrew Israelites, so-called, turn on them, you know, like vicious animals. They turn on them, and they start uh, slandering them, they start... uh, cursing at them. They're, they're, I mean, they're just the language is horrible. I understand that, uh what was it, Hannity or someone played the clip today and had to bleep out all of the ex- expletives. It was, it was just like a bleep, 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 Continually bleeping out every other word they said that was just foul. Um, but the this is an expression of their minds, an accurate expression of their minds, okay? And souls, sad to say. It sounds like it anyway, but regardless. So they're attacking these kids calling them all kinds of things that I can't repeat they never should have been said in the first place. And what do these kids do? They stand there and they take it and they don't, they don't respond. They don't react. They don't engage. They just, they just take it. And then finally, one of them says, can we sing our school songs? Can we do our, you know, the the, the things, the chants they do when they're at sports games and so on. The objective was to just drown all that out, make their own noise in their own space. Okay. And drown out all of the filth. Uh, all of the filthy talk. So, uh, the chaperone gives them the, the okay. And it's, it's silly, I admit. But I mean, you know, teenage sports yeah. things, you know, jumping him down and carrying on and war hoops and all that. But nothing, uh, nothing, uh, you know, nothing which I say aggressive, uh, nothing, uh, militant, nothing in the sense that it would, anybody should feel threatened by it. Just kids doing their school cheers, you know, and, uh, singing their school song. And um, so they're carrying on, and they're having a good time doing that. And yeah, that pretty well takes over the mic, and drowns out the uh, the sewer mouth people who are there. And um, so what happens next is is kind of interesting. Uh, the um, suddenly this this little drummer boy, the uh, the uh, Native American with his drum, comes through, and I, there's a reason they call him that. Okay. Uh, he actually starts, he comes past the black Hebrew Israelites and he walks directly, not only at, but into the group of the students. He walks directly among them. He and several other of the, of the, uh, uh Native Americans walk there and they go to, and they go actually among the, the students and, uh, the, initially, the students don't know how to take this, but the drum beat is sort of matching their chant, and so they start dancing with the drum beat because <laughs> they think, "Well, gee, this is pretty cool," you know. <laughs> then the guy, this one man, keeps wandering around among them, and they keep, part- keep parting to let him go past, but. He he keeps beating on his drum, and he spots this one young man. I, I think he is a young man. I don't think he's a kid. His name is Nick Sandman, and he's one of the coming Latin students in the group. And for some reason, this, this fellow goes right up to him, puts the drum right in his face, and is beating the drum right in his face as he's staring him right in the eye. And now, you know, Nick Sandman does not step aside. It's obvious the, that uh, the Native American doesn't expect him to stand aside. He could have easily gone around him. You know, later on he was saying, "Oh, he stood my—he blocked my way. I wanted to go to the Lincoln Memorial. He blocked my way, and then he wouldn't let me retreat either." Yeah. I mean, it's a long, a bald-faced lie. You know, and uh, so Nick Sandman is standing there, and their their faces are about that far apart. There's drums between them. The guy's beating his drum. And um, uh, later on, Nick did say there was a time when he did have a smile on his face. But he said he smiled because he wanted to send a message to the the aggressor, in this case, with the drum, that he's not a threat. You know, he's not thinking bad thoughts. He's not angry. He's not going to attack the man. He said he was trying to, well, he he said in his statement, diffuse, D-I-F-F-U-S-E, which means spread out, but he meant defuse. Uh, to kind of calm down everything, you know, and some of the other students began to comment, and and Nick Sandman uh, told them, to "Be quiet, you know, just don't don't comment," which I think shows extraordinary maturity, extraordinary self control, and uh, so this 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 carried on. Uh, for all I know, I mean, I don't know how long they they stood like that with this man pushing the drum in Nick's face and beating on the drum. But the bus did come and take the students away, at some point. And at which point, of course, they had their little uh, video clip that they wanted for the propaganda. And, um, for their racist propaganda. And, uh, the, of course, the interviews started to, you know. Um, what happened next was just a disgraceful display of uh, of just uh, the wolf pack of the liberal media, you know going berserk about this. But the sad part is the conservative media went berserk with them, you know, as if to say, oh, this is horrible. You know, this is the March for Life. These kids are with the March for Life. This reflects so badly on the March for Life. It reflects so badly on all the conservatives. It reflects badly on the pro-life people. It reflects badly on Catholics. And they're all groveling and, and beating their breasts and Crying out, you know, their lamentations of regret and sorrow and repentance, and begging for for forgiveness from Native Americans everywhere, from uh, uh, Nathan Phillips, the the uh, fellow with the drum, and uh, and then the principal of the school, okay. Throws the kids under the bus. That's the expression that <laughs> now they're using. Uh, throws the kids under the bus. Even, even, uh, waves the possibility of expulsion For this. This does not represent the school. It doesn't represent faith. And then to top it all off, uh, Bishop, uh, uh Roger Joseph Foys, I think it was Bishop Foyes, of coming to Kentucky, who's supposed to be, of course, the shepherd, right? He's supposed to be the bishop he's supposed to be the shepherd especially of the flock there you know, these boys you know what is he do? he condemns them he just condemns them over him uh threatens right and even after the lengthy uh, segments video segments came out he still doesn't uh, doesn't retract or uh, apologize or recant or anything of the kind he says well, we're having a third party investigate this and then we'll decide what to do so uh the result of all this is very, very interesting, that there's a tremendous backlash. When people are finding out the truth, um uh most even of, of the well the conservative media, but even the liberal media people began to recant and to apologize and to say, I jumped the gun, I made a mistake, I I misinterpreted this, or whatever. You know, they, they said I withdraw what I said. They took it back. Uh, not all, not all of the liberal media, some of the more rabid types wouldn't do it, of course. There were even some so-called celebrities, as you say, who said, well, what difference does it make whether it's true or not? They were in, they were in Washington, D.C. to oppose abortion, and that's opposing women's right, and they deserve everything they get. And they were wearing mega hats, too. They deserve everything they get. Whether it's true or not, it doesn't matter. Okay? Because whether, whether this was an example of white racist, Privilege or whatever; uh, those mega hats say it all, anyway. You know. So what this tells you is you're not dealing with honest people. Is a is that we were under any illusions whatsoever? But you know, uh, to to put a cap on on this whole thing, Tom. No matter what happens from here, no matter whether this Bishop Foy's, I mean, the Society of Saint Pius X over at the. The church and school there, the Society of St. Pius the Tenth down down in Walton. In mm-hmm. They had Bishop Foy Bishop Foy came to their visit their church and school and they even referred to him as their bishop. Right. He's our bishop, they said. And this is this is the <laughs> man we're talking about who did this. Well, I, I, again, I'd say what what bishop what bishop are we talking about? Sure. What shepherd is this here? But anyway, um this is, has awakened people who probably in the past were were not willing to acknowledge the bias uh of the of the media but uh, the people are really are really fired up about this this injustice and uh and they they see the power of it because uh this young man nick his family have received death threats, right? Uh, and Tifa said they were going to kind of picket the school or, uh, you know, whatever, have a demonstration at the school in Covington this morning at 10 o'clock. They actually shut down the school. A, a message went out from the diocese, I think from the school, but I think the diocese also echoed it, uh, shutting down the school. that went out early this morning before the school day began they were not only shutting down Covington Latin, they were shutting down Covington Catholic, they were shutting down the the chancery office of the diocese. They shut down the diocese, basically, um, because of these threats. Uh, The local law enforcement advised them to shut down because they considered the threats to be so serious. That's the damage that these people can do in the media. And this has really been a, a, a good, huge... Uh, lung full of smelling salts to a lot of people apparently who are saying, This is intolerable. We cannot have this here. Mm. And, uh, as I say, the, the, um, the threats that are coming in from all over, people who couldn't care less whether these things are true or not, they're just using it as, as an opportunity to, to attack. That's all. Yeah. So, uh, somebody has to be held accountable. This. I understand that their parents, who are actually, uh, you know, uh, uh, retaining lawyers uh, to uh, sue to launch civil action, civil suits, maybe I'd uh, maybe criminal suits, I don't know, against uh, the leading media spokespersons who, who, who launched this whole attack, and especially the ones who will not recant. And uh, for all I know, I mean, even. Uh, they might they might decide that we we need to get a redress from our the principal of Canon and Lutton and even the Bishop of the diocese if they will not you know uh, own up to the fact that they were spreading some uh, slander mm-hmm. essentially a yeah. uh, very damaging and very dangerous slander that so we'll see how this develops but uh, if if we If we traditional Catholics had gotten together and thought what can we do to expose the bias and the viciousness of the leftist media, what can we do? What kind of trap could we we lay for them to fall into, to expose, you know, just how evil this is and how dangerous they are? You couldn't have done better than what they did to themselves. They did this to themselves. we would not have contrived anything like this ever we didn't have to they're just so blatant about it that uh inevitably something like this was going to happen i just uh you know pray for all the for all the people involved uh you know that the bad ones convert and that the good ones are safe because this is not going in a good direction for them but it's uh Certainly torn open an enormous uh, Wound and this uh, exposed a confrontation which is actually brought up to a higher level
1: And father you and I have, have both read through the the statement of this Nick Sandman this this student that was involved The student made
0: a, a public statement about what yeah, actually happened.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, and you and I both agree that it's it's very well written very um, Very very good statement and that along with you know the video evidence that, that you mentioned it just totally 100% contradicts everything that that you've seen in the media and it just is as clear as day for anyone who wants to know the truth that that this is just a total blatant lie this whole thing but it it seems to me you know you mentioned that quote of of a celebrity saying they were there for the march for life and so they they deserve this and I think that is the mindset behind so much of this that the ends justify the means it doesn't matter if this is true or not this, these are, are terrible people here because they're uh, they're supposedly Catholic. They uh, they they're wearing these make, make America Great Again hats. But worst of all, they're here for this March for Life. Mm-hmm. You know, they're they're pro-life, they're anti-abortion, and that is just you know abortion, the sacraments of liberalism. We cannot in any way uh, oppose that. And so it doesn't matter. The truth doesn't matter to these people. The ends justify the means. You have an evil person, and any means possible to destroy them. And right. Well, They're doing a
0: good job. Well, you know, Tom, when they talk about making America great again, we should remember that, uh, I don't know, was it Adams? I think it was Adams who said, America is great because America is good. Uh, Alexis Tocqueville. Alexis Tocqueville, thank you. Thank you, I appreciate that. I knew you would know. Alexis Tocqueville said that America is great because America is good. When America ceases to be good, America will cease to be great.
1: Right.
0: Okay, so there you have these young people wearing these mega hats there. And they might as well be saying, make America good again, because they're there to oppose abortion. They're to say, to purge this, this horrible crime, the satanic crime from our nation. Make America good again to make America great again. And you have to, you have to make America good again if you're going to make America great again. The only way to do that is you've got to stop offending God by these horrible evils. Right. And that starts with cleansing this nation of the, uh, satanic sacrifice of, uh, of the, you know, lives of these children through abortion. <laughs> they were there. They were there. Taking part in that march because they want to make America good again, so that America can be great again. And this is what happens to them; they they fall into this trap because it was a trap, sure. And uh, it was set by uh, Antifa and and those who think like them and act like them. The um, you know what I what I hope comes of this is that more and more people realize we have to oppose this. Uh, We cannot be passive. We're not allowed to be passive in regard to this. And one can say, like Nick Sandman did, well, you know, I was trying just to keep things calm, trying not to escalate things. And uh, so he was willing to take this, okay? He didn't know what was going to happen next. He didn't know who this guy was or what he was up to or what he was thinking of doing to him, but he just kind of let this happen. Was, and um, you know, when it comes to us individually, we can do that, okay? We can allow ourselves to be mistreated. We can allow ourselves to be cursed. We can allow ourselves to be beaten. We can allow ourselves to undergo all kinds of things. We can allow ourselves to be done unto death as martyrs. We follow the example of our Lord, okay? Um, but we cannot absolve ourselves of the responsibility we have to protect the innocent, to protect others, to protect our families, to protect our country. We cannot just lay back and be passive and watch these things be attacked. We have a solemn obligation out of the virtue of piety, an obligation of justice before God to protect and defend these things. We cannot just be passive when it comes to the murders of millions of babies worldwide thousands of babies every day here in the United States of America. We can't be passive about them. We have to make it very clear that this is wrong. And uh, and uh, there are those, obviously, who, uh, who have vested interest in these crimes, these evil things, and they will hate us. Um, what they were trying to do there is to provoke an angry reaction to show that we are the ones who hate. And they didn't get that. And you see this happening over and over again. You know, they go into restaurants, they confront people while they're having dinner, they're trying desperately to get these people to react violently. And yet, they're the ones, well, they're screaming at the top of their lungs about no hate, no hate. They're the ones who are just rancid with violence, right? This is the hypocrisy of Satan himself. And uh, we, we must be patient, we must be charitable, but we can't be passively patient with charity. We have to protect what God has given us to love and what God loves. Okay, So we have to determine how to do that in the right way. But we have to do it. Sure.
1: All right. Well, Father, I'd like you to get into some emails if we could. I've got a whole stack of them here for you. Tonight. Good so uh, just real quick, I'll go through this one. So here says, I personally know two married Novus Ordo priests. Both were married Episcopal priests before they joined the Novus Ordo. Are there any pre-Vatican II examples of married Protestant ministers becoming Catholic priests? I imagine such cases would be confusing to a congregation without a lot of explanation.
0: Oh, you can be sure of that. <laughs> Especially before Vatican II. Now I think people would just sit there and shrug and say, oh well, you know. Uh... Nowadays, they might have been bad, and I have to. They were married to each other. I mean, the, the two clergymen were married to each other. I don't know what they would say, but anyway, um, you know, Tom. Uh, not that I know of. I don't know of any married Protestant or Anglican clergyman who came into the church, married, and wound up functioning as priests somehow. I mean, for a clergyman out from outside the church to be converted to the Catholic faith. He would have to uh, make his abjuration of error and his profession of faith and go you know, through the process of his conversion. And he wouldn't be regarded as a member of the clergy.
1: Right.
0: He would enter as a layman. Uh, now later on in the course of time he, he might be accepted as, he might be ordained, uh, might even become a bishop was Cardinal Newman. Less but he wouldn't enter as a bishop or a priest or a deacon. I mean, he would have to enter as a layman and then uh, go through the the training and preparation to become a Catholic clergyman. And uh, the idea that before Vatican II, (coughs) someone could have done that with a wife and possibly children, with a family of his own, uh, I think that that would be pretty much unthinkable. the only way I think that there's any way that could be possible is if somebody converted and entered one of the Eastern rites of the church where a married clergy is accepted, you yeah. know, um, the uniate rites. Um, in, in which case, again, even there, they could not go on to become bishops, but, uh, conceivably, if they came into the church with a wife, they could be prepared for and, and the ordained priests in one of the Eastern rites, but I don't know, I don't know of any cases like that.
1: Okay,
0: there might well be cases like that out there. Okay.
1: Then next email: What can a valid priest with jurisdiction do that a valid priest without jurisdiction cannot do? To put it differently, what can a valid novus ordo priest of a diocese do that a valid sede priest cannot do?
0: A valid novus ordo priest can uh offer sacrilege by consecrating could i mean could have the power to consecrate the body and blood of christ now whether you know this question of the novus Oral being valid or not but if you are talking just about the power just the power unto itself uh, could validly consecrate and provide uh the blessed sacrament to be used and abused at a Novus liturgy, so that people are passing it out, handing it out, particles of the host falling wherever, people walking all over it, uh, you know, drinking the cups, gathering what's left, as in and at least one case, I know, uh, then the contents of the cups afterwards being poured down the drain, the sink, the sacred sink, right sink, presumably, in the sacristy. Um, so, um, you know, those who militate for the validity, the absolute unquestionable validity of the New Rite of Ordination, the Novus Ordo Rite, and the absolute unquestionable validity of the Novus Ordo, are militating in favor of actually providing the, the, what is really the presence of the Body and Blood of Christ so it can be uh, the object of sacrilege in the Novus Ordo, by right? the way they, they deal with it. And, and, by the way, what I said, what I just mentioned, I mean, even if you take the host and throw them on the floor, right? Even if you take the precious blood and you dump it on the drain, that's nothing in comparison with people in the state of mortal sin, who are living in the state of mortal sin, coming up and committing sacrilege after sacrilege by receiving the host. You know, Even if they were kneeled down to receive the tongue, uh, receive on the time. You know, if they're, if they're at a second or third marriage, if they're living with their boyfriends or their girlfriends, if they're in the state of mortal sin because of whatever, you know, whatever. And they don't go to confession, they don't receive absolution, they're not absolved from their sins, maybe not repentant either. I mean, these are all sacrileges. So, um, yes, there are those who simply insist that you cannot question the validity of the New Rite of Mass, the Novus Ordo. And you cannot question the validity of the new the new ordination, right? But they're insisting on um, that because they want Christ to be there in the host, in the wafers there at the novissimo, and in the cups in the novissimo, and subject to all of that. And frankly, um, I can I do not share their enthusiasm for sacrilege, sure. um, but if if the question really involves faculties and I assume that's what the writer is is asking for you um if there's a traditional priest validly ordained he has he has the power to administer the sacraments and to do what a priest needs to do for the good of the the souls okay um there are ecclesiastical laws which um require faculties from the bishop, you know, to function as a priest in the diocese. And, uh, but those ecclesiastical laws are subject to the divine law of God, the positive law of our Lord, and the supreme law of the Church, in her own code of canon law, is stated as the salvation of souls. And so, uh, the Church has made provisions for cases of confusion and chaos, and, and she, of course, she would have to. Because in the course of her history, I mean, there has never been a place somewhere on earth the church hasn't been persecuted. There has been a breakdown of communications often enforced by, imposed and enforced by a, an enemy of the church, an emperor, a king, or a dictator, or whoever. And so the churches have to kind of go into quote-unquote emergency mode or, you know, uh, extraordinary case situations. And uh, she if she didn't even have laws to cover those, she would she would re- vet, re- reflect on them after the, the crisis had passed and give a judgment about whether they were the right thing to do or not. And uh, in this case, with this situation going on right now, when you have a man like Francis in the Vatican, who is not only making a mockery of the papacy, but he's actually changing the novus ordo catholics understanding of what the papacy even is i mean he is their new benchmark for what the papacy is and what a pope is and they're all adjust- even the conservative catholics are adjusting their concept of the papacy in order to allow for francis being a pope that shows the damage that he's being, that is doing there and um the damage that is caused by people who just just demand that he must be the pope and we have to even change our concept of what the papacy is in order to allow for the fact that he is the pope. That he must be the pope. Therefore, we have to even change our concept of what the church is to accommodate what he's doing. You know, uh, years ago when I was a seminarian, that was a couple of years ago, <laughs> uh, studying in Rome, uh, some conference and I went to the Vatican. We visited with Cardinal Benelli. Cardinal Benelli was very powerful, and I think it was what, I think he was the Secretary of state uh, of uh, the Vatican so actually um the reason I mentioned this is because we had a chance to meet him then, but about that same time, um, another gentleman named Eric de Saventham, who was the head of the Univoce International, okay. Very famous, you know traditional Latin mass advocacy group back then Eric de 7th uh, a very um dignified um, honorable gentleman, you know very dedicated to the faith and so on, uh talked about an interview he had with cardinal benelli that's what that's what brought this back to mind, and Eric de 7th said. Uh, he actually put this in, in writing. He put it in print. That at one point Cardinal Benelli said to him, "Do you know what is the difference between the traditional Latin Roman rite and the traditional and, and the Novus Ordo Mass?" He said, "The difference is a matter of ecclesiology. It's all about ecclesiology." Now, many people would sort of scratch their heads and say, okay, whatever that means. He knew what it meant. He said, your eminence, do you realize what you're saying? What you've said is an enormity, he said. It's an enormity, nothing good. It's outrageous, what you just said. Why? Because essentially what Cardinal Pennelly was saying was, it's a difference in the very concept of the church. That's what ecclesiology, it's a study of the church, her nature, her function, her purpose, all of that. If you substitute a new ecclesiology for the church, you've just substituted a new church. Essentially, that's what this cardinal was saying to him. That's why Dr. Eric DeSavethon reacted the way he did, and he was right to react that way. I mean, the man was making an admission that was very damning. But he spoke as a modernist. Even I see acted as a modernist, and so here today. I mean, we have Francis doing what he's doing to the Church, he's substituting the synodal Church, you know, which is a mockery, um, mm-hmm. and um, and and people are all adjusting their idea now. Uh, even the conservatives are adjusting their idea of, of the Church itself. Little by little, they have to adjust their concept of the Church to allow for Francis to do what he's doing, to be who he is, that they who they think he is. And so this is the situation we're, we're, we're in right now. So if this isn't a crisis, then there never was one. Sure. And, uh, you know, if you look back in the history of the Church, you see the Church has approved of various things. Like Father Pro, you know, Padre Pro, the martyr. I mentioned this before. He would offer mass in private homes and then leave the blessed sacrament in a ciborium, in a, in a cupboard. So that if if all else failed and the priests were, were killed by the communists under Caius and uh, you know the revolutionary government and so on, that the people would still have, still have access to the blessed sacrament. Ordinarily that would be absolutely condemned, never allowed. But Padre Pipero is held up by the church as a great example of heroism and, uh, and martyrdom. So, uh, again, the church did not condemn him for doing this. And for anyone who is actually functioning as a true traditional priest these days, there are many precedents. And for us, precedent is tradition. Tradition is precedent. That's what we found. There are many, many precedents in the history of the church, Telling us that not only are we in the, are we allowed to do this, this is what we must do. We must follow, actually, the the, the inspired word of God and and keeping to the traditions that we've received, mm-hmm. as Saint Paul says sure. so beautifully in Second Thessalonians chapter two, okay. and that's all we're doing. Okay. And we have the uh, the necessary um, authorization from God, call them faculties if you want. Um, we do have that power. Sure. The church herself, in her history, has, has shown that.
1: Well, Father, I we'll have to wrap up with that. We've got a whole stack of emails left, but we're already a bit over our time limit. So, yeah. thanks, thanks for being here tonight. Appreciate. Oh, your
0: time. absolutely. Yeah. My goodness, that was
1: good. Cool. <laughs> time flies. Here, you know, I hardly got a word in. Anyway, so.
0: <laughs> something like that. Well, well, well thank you, yeah. and I thank our viewers too. Sure.
1: Thanks to all our viewers for watching this episode of What Catholics Believe.